This is episode 68 with Mackenzie St. Ange. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Cam, former Division I swimmer turned personal performance coach. Each week, it is my goal to bring you a unique story of an elite athlete's mindset to help you unlock and discover your life's potential. Today, I sit down with Mackenzie St. Ange, founder of The Sideline Perspective, a platform that empowers sideline athletes to find their purpose and move forward as total teammates. Mackenzie and I share very similar views on what it means to be more than an athlete. She shares her journey from playing both hockey and rugby at Dartmouth to founding her own company. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to say thank you to all of you tuning in and listening for this past year plus. If this is your first time or your 68th time hearing me, I appreciate you being here. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season here and you're able to spend some time with your loved ones if possible. Now let's dive into this conversation with Mackenzie. Mackenzie, welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm excited to have you on here. You have a diverse background in both rugby, hockey, Ivy League educated, psychology major, all the things, all things that I am fascinated with. So I am excited to pick your brain here and share your experiences with my audience. How are you feeling today? Thanks. Yeah, I'm feeling great. I'm excited to be on the show. I'm usually on the other side of these recordings. And so it's really exciting to be able to jump on, talk to like-minded people and dive into topics that I love to talk about. I was about to say, it's interesting being on the interviewee side of things, Mm -hmm. getting a little bit of experience at myself now here too. So it is exciting. I love starting off these conversations with getting to the root of why people got involved in the sport that they did so heavily. You are a two sport athlete at the collegiate level, which is not easy by any stretch. How did you find both rugby and hockey? Which one came first and why did you ultimately decide to continue on even at the collegiate level for both sports instead of focusing on one? As a young girl, I loved sports in general. I'd actually say that soccer was my first love. And I grew up in a mountain town, so there was skiing, there were all the summer activities, and I just navigated towards that uh, super small high school. So everyone had to play all the sports in order to field enough people on a team. And it just built this really cool community around supporting the kids growing up there to be active, to be athletic, to enjoy being outside. And I appreciated that. So I think that's what got me well-rounded in the first place. I played club level and kind of elite level hockey and soccer up through high school. And then it was my sophomore year of high school. I said, I am attending this hockey academy full-time through the winter where I've, I've really committed to that sport. And it was the national or the North American hockey academy, uh, forgetting the name of my own school here, but It was a program for 40 girls across the country to go there October through March and focus on the sport of hockey to get recruited, to move on. And so that was a point, a turning point for me at which I was saying, okay, this is, I I really see the progression here. I see myself reaching that next level with hockey, soccer, a true passion of mine, definitely something that I'd say I was actually more naturally skilled at, but there is a point at which I think we're high achieving individuals and you want to reach that next level. So I think hockey offered a little bit more of an opportunity in that. 
So I, I followed through with that, got recruited, went to Dartmouth and uh, played division one. And it was quite the experience, you know, throughout my four years, I, I grew and I changed so much as a person. Uh, I'd say my relationship to the sport had its ups and downs. And by the end of my junior year, throughout that summer, I was exposed to rugby. So this uh, rugby came a little bit later in life. And I saw the women playing sevens for the upcoming Olympics and immediately it just clicked. It was this really cool combination of soccer and the space and the field and the movement with the pace and the physicality of hockey. And before I had ever touched a ball, I knew it was something that I wanted to do. Flash forward a week later, I walked into the coach's office on campus and my heart was beating out of my chest for whatever reason. I said, hi, my name's Mackenzie. I play on the hockey team. I think I really want to try rugby and I'm committed to all four years of hockey. I went on to be captain my senior year. I, I didn't want to compromise my time on the team, but I can't move forward with my life without having given this a try. It's like really calling me. And to their credit, the coaches said, all right, well, you know, the world of division one athletics, you're familiar with the structure of our, our program and what it means to be an athlete at Dartmouth come on out in the spring and we'll, we'll train you. We'll keep in touch throughout the winter and we will make sure that you're not, you know, flying blind by the time you step on the field for your first practice. And so that's what we did. And by that spring, I was basically transferring. I, I finished my last hockey game and I walked right into the gym with the rugby team the next week and just continued on, which is a pretty surreal experience. It, it was like, go, go, go entire year that year. But a really cool dynamic to then see how a different team played out on the same campus and what that culture looked like and what that sport looked like and how to think of myself a little bit differently as an athlete in that context. Yeah, no, I love that. I didn't realize you made that transition halfway through school too. Did you find a difference in the years, like for, I guess freshman, sophomore year, where you didn't transition right into rugby season then? Mm -hmm. compared to later college years. I always looked forward to the end of the season because it was like a mental reset and it was a physical reset as well. Mm -hmm. Did you find that that was missing when you started adding in rugby in there? And if so, how did you compensate for it? Yeah. So I think I felt that same sense of relief at the end of the season, particularly hockey season is really long, right? You get mm -hmm. on campus, you start skating in September you're not done until potentially March. And that winter break is really brief. It's just, it's long. And so to be able to like take that time off is, is usually much needed. But I would say with the timing and the way that I got involved with rugby, which really was my senior year and then rugby carried after graduation as well, it was that point where I knew my hockey career was at a, at an end. There wasn't anything I felt like I still needed to pursue in my time in hockey. And to be able to step into something like rugby actually felt like this safe space to land mm -hmm. in processing my hockey retirement. And in a way I look at it, like maybe it was delaying that processing. Maybe I didn't actually process what I needed to in that moment, but I was able to have that continuity of being a part of a team of going into the weight room of being in a structured practice environment of learning, pushing myself. And so it was kind of like a safety net for me, I would say. 
I love it. You can see like the psychology background shining through there of analyzing, all right, did I process this the right way? Did I not? Looking back, knowing what you know now, what do you think the answer is to that? Was it the proper way to process it or would you go back and change it? I wouldn't change it because I think I also grew a ton in the time that I played rugby, both in school and out of school. Mm -hmm. It led me to new experiences. It reminded me that I can be the type of person who just jumps in on something and can adjust and can settle. It was a really cool aspect of kind of having myself reaffirmed, if that makes sense. I step into a totally new team environment and I have this picture of who I am with the hockey team as someone who works hard, someone who's a leader, someone who cares for their teammates. And nobody on the rugby team knew any of that about me. I had to go about being myself, being the athlete and the person that I am. And it was really cool to see that reflected back to me once again, that that really actually was who I am. And it wasn't something I was just resting on my laurels on, you know, for years and years. So that was a really cool experience. It gave me the courage and the confidence, for example, post-graduation to get on a plane and move to Hawaii for a while and just go jump into something new there. And that was, you know, in pursuit of rugby, in pursuit of a new experience. And I think it all built on itself my rugby career kind of came to a standstill, I would say. I, I still kind of look for opportunities to play when I can, but I ultimately broke my collarbone playing. And that's where I felt like I was launched into that shift of, okay, time to think about what I'm doing as a career. Because I went into rugby with that same high achieving mindset that mm-hmm. I carried throughout my hockey career. Of, if I'm going to do this, I want to be good at it. I want to invest time and I want to learn the game and I want to push myself physically. I'm glad that I had the opportunity to see myself grow again in a new sport and in a new context and really process how I operate in those spaces. And then as much as I didn't appreciate it at the time, I'm glad that I did break my collarbone because it set into motion more of that critical thinking around, okay, well, what do I do when this gets taken away from me? Because Rugby is a really physical sport and it's liable to happen again if I continue playing. You know, what does my body mean to me in in how I use it and how I want to use it the rest of my life? And what does structuring my life around a sport mean to me now versus what it meant to me when I was in high school, early years of college, et cetera? Yeah, it's cool to see that maturity like kick in and mm-hmm. now like look back on it. Injuries are always interesting because I think in the moment for athletes, they suck. There's no way around it. They suck, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. taking away something that we love most. And a lot that can be a theme really of this year, right? Like the things that we love the most were taken away from us. But then we have that time to pause and that introspective to look back and be like, okay, maybe I mean, it wasn't the best thing for me, but it gives you this deeper sense of appreciation of what you were actually able to do. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of what the underlying premise of the sideline perspective is for you, correct? Like, mm-hmm. is that why you started that company? And talk us through what it was like getting that off the ground and, and really what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. That was definitely a moment in my life where I was feeling the weight of 
processing who I was beyond sport. And that came twofold, certainly after I finished ice hockey and then smack in the face when I was injured physically. And, and I realized that those emotions had parallels and those experiences had parallels. It was really anytime we were asked to step back from something that can be this guiding light in our life. And we have to kind of fill up these, these buckets that I consider kind of the three main ones, identity, community, and purpose. And mm-hmm. sport is such an efficient way to gain all of those pieces, right? You can say, I'm Mackenzie and I'm a hockey player. You know, my team is my community and getting better every day and showing up is my purpose and it can take over. And I think if we're not careful and we allow our sport to be the primary aspect of all those pillars, when we lose our sport, we literally have to not only rehab our body, but rehab those pillars for ourselves, rebuild them, reorient them, restructure them. And I realized that that piece, that process is hard to do. And I think everyone's felt that in their own way if they've been sidelined from their sport. And it's certainly hard to do when you're in isolation and when you think that you're the only one going through that process. And I don't think the culture of sports right now does a great job of highlighting that those are part of the athletic experience. When injured athletes our sidelines, usually you fall out a step with the team. You know, you're going to rehab when the rest of the team is going to dinner. The coach is moving on to plan for the next game, but probably isn't considering you because they're not factoring in how you're contributing on the field. Likewise, you retire. And I like to say you get a pat on the back and a kick out the door because the program is really oriented almost like a conveyor belt. And it's, it's where's the next talent and how can we funnel it through? Because the people in the system are staying in the system. They're not thinking about those who are processing life after the system. All to say, it's not a highlighted part of the athletic experience. We like to highlight the, you know, the touchdowns and the game winning goals. And I just thought that was a shame because it's something no matter who you are, no matter how good, how good you are, you process that, you go through those experiences. There's absolutely no reason we should be left to figure that out on our own. Hence the community aspect of the sideline perspective. It's built on stories so that we can share those experiences. And you know, now it's providing resources to help actually process those moments in our lives. I love it. I, I love what you're doing with it too, because it's highlighting the less sexy part of athletics. Absolutely. You know, like, like you mentioned, everyone wants the highlight reel. Everyone wants this and you take it a step back and you're like, well, really there's all this other stuff that goes into being an athlete that goes into competing at this level. And I think the conversations that I've had on this podcast with people, the higher the level that you compete at, the harder it is to then like pivot out of it. Mm-hmm. You touched on purpose, and I want to dive into that a little bit deeper. How did you find your bigger purpose? And knowing what you know now, do you look back and realize like, oh, I was actually doing all the things like I transitioned from hockey to rugby because I had this higher purpose in mind and I was subconsciously thinking about it. Is that the case with you or where are you at as far as finding your purpose, I guess? Yeah, it's a great question. Lots of thoughts bobbling around in my mind. I will start with the fact that I feel like I just stumbled over my purpose in a way. 
And that it can be this intangible, almost kind of frustrating piece for, I think, a lot of people to figure out because it's like, I'm supposed to have a purpose. Why don't I have a purpose? Where can why I can't find it? And then, of course, the advice is, oh, just follow your purpose. And just, but I don't have one. Start with why, but I don't have a why. <laughs> yeah. So I say start with curiosity. Mm. Start with exploring. Start with questioning the world around you. Start with where your interests are leading you. And if you can start there, I think that is kind of how you can stumble upon your own purpose. So I feel like that's been a trait that I've carried my whole life is just always wanting to know the why behind other things. I I may not have had my why, but I wanted to know someone else's why. And I wanted to explore that and the way people think and the way they operate. And then ultimately, I think, and I learned this looking back that I shifted towards a purpose or a general desire to help other people feel seen and heard. And so that's where I feel like my purpose lies today. I could say that my purpose is the sideline perspective. My purpose is the work that I'm doing there. But when I boil that down again, it's that I want sidelined athletes to feel seen, heard, valued. And I boil it down all the way to that because if I say my purpose is the sideline perspective and I lose it, I'm in the same place as if I just lost my sport. Right. Mm -hmm. And I got like a mini taste of that recently because the website for the sideline perspective is currently down. It's been hacked with trying to solve kind of like a malware issue. And this is, you know, two years of building on it and setting it up and progressing and starting to feel like my baby, you know, and if it's down, what do I do? How do I operate? Like, what do I have to show for what I've built with it, et cetera. And so it's kind of a really great situation for me right now to take a step back and realize a URL, a website is not indicative of the impact that the platform has made. And it's not indicative of my ability to move forward and continue to make that impact. Hopefully we solve it and we can just restore backup. But either way, I have to know that like my purpose is still in making people out there feel seen and heard. And then I can carry that throughout every day. Even if I don't get to have a direct contact with a sidelined athlete, I can do that for my friend for my parents, for an old teammate, for a coworker even. And it's this kind of simple thing that helps to guide my daily actions. Yeah. To me, it sounds like you are very clear when you boil it down to something that is more simple than like the vehicle itself. It's bigger than the company. You've boiled it down to these are your core values and this is how you want to live your life. And that they're shown in each of the actions that you do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. One of, one of the things I really like to think, I'm a big like analogy person. And one of the things, I, the way that I like to look at purpose, it's like we have a map and we're, we're going to this destination. And today we might be driving a certain type of car. And that's our identity for that day. But a car is not permanent. It might break down. Something might happen to it. We might have to switch cars, Mm -hmm. but we're still going towards that end direction. And I think where the disconnect happens and people feel lost is they either get too tied up in their identity being whatever the vehicle is that they're driving, Mm -hmm. or they get lost along the way and they lose sight of the the end result. And it sounds like you're finally getting clear on 
both the end result and being okay with, I might have to pivot vehicles as I'm going to that destination. Totally. I think that's a great analogy and an awesome way to put it. And I think one thing I want to emphasize is like, it took me so much work to like get to this point. It took me so much time sitting with the uncomfortable feelings of having placed my identity, having placed my purpose in something that was liable to be lost, you know, liable to break down and realizing, man, I really don't want to be in that situation again. So what do I need to do to, to figure that piece out? I think the more we can do that with all these aspects, I, I spoke to purpose, but like you said, identity, it's not the car you're driving. It's how you're driving it. You know, I'm a, instead of I'm a hockey player or I'm my job title or whatever else, it's I'm someone who is compassionate, who puts others first, who is, you know, trying to operate in the world a certain way. And again, that's something you can show up for every single day. And no matter what car you get in, you're going to drive that way. I love that. And I think what what really triggered me when swimming ended for me was people told me all those things, right? Like, oh, you were a D1 athlete. So like, you know, time management, you know, X, Y, Z, like, and then there was that disconnect of like, how do I apply those intangibles into what I'm doing now? Totally. How did you find that transition for you? And what helped you through that transition of taking those intangible skills that sport has taught you? the athletic mindset, will you? And applying it to everything that you do now. Yeah, I think at first, I'm not sure I did. I obviously held on to sport and Mm. lived that out through rugby and then lost rugby and then was launched into it again. And even then, I'll I'll speak to the physical side because I think it translates to other pieces too. I continue to train like a hockey player, like a rugby player for a solid year after that, you know, I rehabbed from my collarbone and then I got back to be cleared and I was still saying, okay, I need to like put a a ton of weight on the bar and be able to clean it, you know, be able to get under it and, and move the weight that I used to be able to move. And I need to, you know, continue to have a five day a week schedule, you know, with, with other aspects involved. And some of them were going to be two times a day. And then I hit this point where my body was just like, cut it out. Like you're done. You've been following a training plan for 10 years and I don't really want to do it anymore. So let's take a break. (laughs) And I realized that in following those programs, I was holding on to that structure. I was holding on to the physical identity of being an athlete. I needed to still look like an athlete. People still needed to ask me what sport I played, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a process to realize that going to the gym and working out and putting my body through that and trying to make it fit into now a nine to five work day, which is more difficult, was a coping mechanism for this transition. And was something that I actually forced myself to like step away from and like not go to the gym and not work out for a while before I could come back to it with kind of a more balanced mindset that fit better. So I think that's an example of the physical side of things, but I've done that in the mental and emotional side of my life as well. So Mm -hmm. taking a step back sometimes and saying, 
okay, you don't have to put like all of the extras into what you're doing right now. Because if you continue to just keep piling things on, I'm going to do all the things I was doing as an athlete. And now I'm going to take them and I'm going to put them into my work life or my entrepreneurial life. And I'm going to do all the extras there too. Quite simply, you realize you run out of time in the day. And so I started to adjust like, where are the pieces that really matter? Where are the pieces that are really going to like drive the things that I care about forward and help me achieve again, that mission of like helping people feel seen and heard. Because when I get those moments, when I get to have those conversations that are aha moments for other people, I feel fulfilled in that. And I started to realize like those conversations or those interactions felt a lot like a really good breakout, for example, like, I had just connected with three of my teammates on this perfectly lined up play. And we got the objective that we were looking for. We got the puck out of the zone. And I vividly actually remember having a conversation with somebody where we were going back and forth and picking up each other's sentences and like having these aha moments together. And I was like, you just perfectly caught my cross eyes pass. You know, <laughs> like it was the weirdest thing this to click in my brain, but I started to feel that. And I agree with how you started this question in that at first I was like, that is total BS. I'm not going to find anything that I'm going to love as much as I loved my sport. And these things aren't going to directly translate. I'm going to start from scratch. But I think to some, what I've rambled on about up is that it might not directly, directly translate but you can shift things and fit them into where they're going to fit the big picture in your next step. And that shift I think is actually important. It's not going to be A to B. It might be A to B to C. Mm. I think that's a huge takeaway there. (laughs) I like to relate it to that switch out is very similar to like when you got moved up training groups as a kid, like through the age group ranks, when you first adjusted, you were like, Oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like I'm so overwhelmed every single day of practice. Like for me, it was like, I can't make a single interval. Like what were my coaches thinking? (laughs) Moving me up. I'm not ready for this. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a few months into it, a year or two into it, things finally start to click. And I think that has been the biggest mindset shift for me in the entrepreneurial space. It's like, this isn't going to be easy. I have the tools to make it slightly easier, but that doesn't mean it's ever going to be easy. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to have to show up and put in the effort every day. And it might not be until a year. It might be five years. It might be 10 years that like this starts to click. Are you feeling like it's starting to click for you or are you still navigating that transition? I do feel like it's starting to click, which is a really (laughs) cool feeling. It's really cool. And for listeners out there who are not quite there yet, stick with it. Like it it will come. There's no direct timeline on Mm. what that looks like. It's not like, all right, one year out, you're going to feel this way. Two years out, you're going to feel that way. It's your own journey, your own process. I think that's an important piece to remember because I remember early on, it was like, I'm supposed to have this figured out. I'm supposed to be high achieving. I'm supposed to have, you know, just taken things and translated, but sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. And 
one of the biggest pieces for me, I'll take my experience in an entrepreneurial context, because I know you can relate and, and building the sideline perspective has been an important part of my growth. It's that I've learned so much in the past two years of having started this. I didn't know anything about building a website, starting a podcast, marketing, communication, community building. I've learned all of that on the fly. And looking back on that process now, it never quite felt like I knew enough or was doing enough in the moment. But in two years, it's come so far. And I can be really proud of that. And and each time I learn a new skill... I gain confidence in learning the next skill. If I could learn how to build the website, well, yeah, I can go on Google and figure out how to start a podcast. And if I can figure that piece out, the next piece can come. And I'd say my confidence simply in the ability to learn something on my own and process it and think critically about it has grown exponentially. And when I do look back, now I can draw that connection that that was a skill I was using in sport too. I love that. And I think so many people are sitting there waiting or not acting because it feels really overwhelming. And it is when you're starting these new endeavors. And what I found was like, let me focus on one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. The podcast for me came first. I did that for really a solid like 10 months before I even considered building out a business around it. Mm -hmm. It was like, let me just get really good at having conversations with people. And then what can I add to my plate once I feel like I have enough experience? I'm by no means an expert at it, but like I have enough experience where it's like, okay, I can take on the next thing. Is mm-hmm. that kind of what resonates with you too? Hugely. Yeah. When I first had the idea for the sideline perspective, I was like, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> I'm going to write a book that every sideline athlete or retiring athlete can read and it'll make them feel better. And then I would sit down at the very beginning say, okay, I'm going to write this book now. It's like writing a whole book. I'd never done anything like that before. And I quickly realized like, scratch that because in order to write the book, I need to understand experiences beyond my own. I need to know what is out there on the whole. I need to hear the voices and the stories of other people. And so in order to collect those, I'm going to ask people to submit them. In order to have them submit them, I need a landing page like a website. So there goes the website, literally just starting with stories. Okay, if we have stories, it would be really powerful to hear people talk about them in their own voice. There's the podcast. And it builds and it builds. And and obviously, I had this initial vision of touching every sidelined athlete out there in some way to let them know they weren't alone And I just had to be flexible about what that path looked like. I had to shift from the very beginning to from it's going to be a book to it's going to be a process and it's going to grow as it moves along and just taking on that next logical thing. But for example, with the podcast, I had everything I needed to launch my first episode in May and I didn't actually have it go live until like... I think it was November, maybe even January. I stalled out for so long getting used to my podcast voice, like not sure if I was going to get the right guests, not sure how to structure it or ask the questions, learning the editing software. And even then I, I had it and I just was afraid. And now that I've just sent something out there, like 100% execution on an 80% plan is better than you know no execution or little execution on a 100% plan. And 
I've learned that and and obviously every episode's gotten better since. So I think you've touched on some points that are so relatable. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about messy action and just putting it out there. I do. You're bringing me back to like me recording my first episode on this. And it was like, I look back on it now. This will be like a year and a half later at the time of this airs. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. I've, you know, it's, it's grown a lot since then. And I think even there in just that story you told, like you have your final destination in mind still, this higher purpose, these core values. And it's just taking the form of a book. And now you've, we're able to map out these detours along the way that are intentional stops and almost like checkpoints that you're like, all right, I need to be here first before I do this. Mm-hmm. And, but the whole time you're like, well, I have this end goal still in mind. And the quality of that end result, that end product, the book, I think is going to be absolutely phenomenal given all these experiences that you're going through right now. So you're going to have to keep us updated as that comes along. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I know. And now it's kind of funny because I feel like at the point that I do tackle that project, because um, I do still feel like calling me, it'll kind of write itself, right? Because it'll be this awesome collage of, of my voice and other people's voices and content that I've gathered over the years. And it's just, you know, what's the right way to weave it all together. And so I think that's, that's really exciting. It's beautiful stuff. Oh, Mackenzie, I want to acknowledge you for the work that you are doing because it is very, very inspiring to see someone else out here that is showing up daily, putting in these reps for something that's bigger than just them. And I think that's what I've gotten the most out of this conversation is all the things that you do. It's never about you. Your own success is a product, a byproduct of this, but it's so much more impactful for that. So I want to thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. What is next for you? What's next for Sideline Perspective? And where can those listening in keep up with that journey? Yeah, absolutely. Right now, we are in a phased launch of an online community, which will be really exciting being able to actually delineate you know, who, who's in this group and how they can connect with each other, sharing posts, stories, being in groups that resonate, you know, whether it's their sport, their school, their experiences. So that's really exciting. That should be launched by early December. And then the release of a workbook, so more structured programming around going through these steps of processing life beyond sport. This one's particularly catered to temporarily sidelined athletes. So injured and COVID, obviously a huge factor for athletes right now. It's a a four-part program called Rise. And I think it's going to be a really cool way for people to, you know, look at at where they are and how they want to return to their sport when the opportunity arises and and how to break down that process in between as well. But beyond that, yeah, the website will be updated and live again shortly. So that is the sidelineperspective.com and then Instagram simply at the sideline perspective and the sideline perspective podcast. I love it. We'll link all of that in the show notes so people have easy access to it. Mackenzie, once again, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your, what is today? Thursday. Enjoy your Thursday here. Thank you. You too. This is awesome talking to you. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Mackenzie. She has great insight on what it means to apply her athletic mindset and the intangibles into the world post-sport. 
She's a great example of finding those parallels and loose connections between hockey and life. Persistence is key in having things click again for you. Be patient with your outcomes, but relentless with how you show up each day. If you haven't done so already, share this episode with a fellow teammate, current or former, who could use that reminder. I'm sure they would appreciate it, and it's also a great way to reconnect with them. Like and leave a review on iTunes as that helps us to continue to grow and provide you the best value possible. Have a fantastic holiday season here, and I will see you all next week as we begin to talk about building sustainable habits heading into the new year.